0: As you can see, we're starting a brand new series today called Vertical, learning to fix our eyes on Jesus before we base our beliefs and our decisions and our direction on what's around us. We want to look up. We want to look at the greater, eternal, lasting truths of who God is, of who we are, and what God is doing in our lives. Over the next couple of weeks, uh, starting next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to trust God, to take actual steps of faith. We're going to talk about worship. What does worship look like? Uh, What does it call me to do? And who is it calling me to be? And we're going to talk about having an eternal mindset. Do you know that God has an eternal reward waiting for those who put our faith and trust in him? But today, I think we need to build a foundation talking about the glory of God. If I were to sum up Uh, What we're going to explore today is really just the simple truth that we often take for granted and we lose the power of because we're so familiar with it. It's just the simple truth that God is amazing. Amen. Yeah, God is amazing. He is awesome, He is glorious. So much of the time uh, in my life and in your life, we base our decisions, our attitudes, our behaviors, our directions for life on things like politics and policies and what we hear on platforms. What would it look like for us to flip it, not upside down, but to flip it right side up the way it should be and base our beliefs and our decisions, our attitudes and the direction of our life on eternal truths? that we have a God who is revealing himself to us and all around us there's evidence for the truth of God. And that truth is this, is that God is ultimately glory and God is ultimately good. God is the source of all things good. God is the reason for all things good. God is the giver of all things good. And God continues to reveal Himself to us. He reveals Himself to us through creation. I mean, how do you look around us at the world and, and wonder and, and believe that there's not a God? How could you come to that conclusion? God reveals himself to us through revelation. We have God's word and we have the Holy Spirit stirring and moving in us. God has moved through history. Uh, So much of the time I've reminded you from this platform that we don't just believe the Bible because the Bible says it. We believe the Bible because there's historic evidence that God is real and God is moving and Jesus was the son of God and he did live and he did die and he rose again. God has revealed himself in history, and God continues to reveal himself through our experiences today. How many of us could testify that I've experienced the hand of God, not just before I existed, but in my life? God is continuing to reveal himself, and what does God reveal? He reveals that he is glorious. I and mean, I want us to just have some fun and think about the glory of God for just a minute. Let's think about the things that God has created in this world. So you and I, we, we have a, an address, not just your physical address of your house, but we all share an address on planet Earth. And planet Earth exists in our solar system, which exists in what's called the Milky Way galaxy. I want to show you a picture of the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, This may seem small to you, but if I were to start at one end of the Milky Way Galaxy and travel to the other, it would take light, not me and you, but take light 120,000 years to go from one end of the Milky Way Galaxy to the other. And our solar system with our eight or when I was in school, it was nine, but somehow it's eight planets now. Our eight planets and our solar system is just a dot in one of these bands. I and mean, think about how amazing that is. Or if we were to pull back at that and look at a bigger snapshot of the universe, we would see that the Milky Way galaxy is just one of billions of galaxies that exist All throughout the universe that the Milky Way is just one of these little dots in the universe. If I were to take and and we were to travel somehow we we advance in our technology and we were going to travel to the next closest galaxy to the Milky Way galaxy we would travel to the Andromeda galaxy which is 250 million light-years away. I mean, just think about the grandeur of not just the universe, but if the universe is this big and expansive and amazing, how big must be the God that created it and holds it all together? Or if that doesn't help expand your appreciation for the glory of God by, by looking at the greatness and the bigness of the universe, what if we were to look at how the tiny, intricate details of the universe Think about human or any DNA. Here's a a snapshot. If you were to to zone in on on what a strand of DNA looks like, it looks something like this. Uh, There are millions of cells in every one of our bodies. And in each one of those cells, there's 3 billion pairs of DNA that make you and I who we are. I mean, think about just how detailed God is in his creation. And again, holding it together in every second, every moment of every day. When all of creation is pointing to the reality that God is glory. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but but it's worth bringing up again, is that you and I do not exist to receive glory. You and I exist to reflect glory. That God created us, that all things, including you and I would point to the glory of God. Or to say it simple, God does not answer to me or to you or to us, we answer to God. And we exist to point all things to the greatness Of who he is and for many of us we have been tempted over these last few years to lose sight of that. That God is still God. That God is still good and God is still glorious. So what I want to do today is I want us to follow a thread through Scripture both the Old Testament and the New looking for this revelation of the glory of God. And what I want us to start off thinking about is that we have to take this this truth that God is glorious very seriously. So we're going to start in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verse 12. And this is what we find. We're uh, peeking in on a conversation between Moses and God. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me Lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses is saying, God, I'm out here in the desert alone. I need some help. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I'll proclaim my name to the Lord, my name, the Lord, in your presence. Moses says, I want to see your glory, God. And what does God say? You cannot see my glory. You cannot see the essence, the face of who I am and live. Here's the truth for us is that we've got to take God's glory seriously. We've got to take it seriously. Here's Moses in the wilderness. He's seen God do some amazing things. I mean, Moses would just live in his life when, when God came to him. And I wonder how many times Moses must have reminded God of that. Hey, you came to me, God, and God called him and he saw God do these incredible miracles. The, the, the ten plagues in Egypt and, and parting the Red Sea and just preparing and, and providing for the people in the wilderness. Time and time again, but Moses, even in the midst of that, found himself in a hard place. There's people complaining. There's people turning away from God. They want to go back to Egypt. They're angry with Moses. And Moses says, God, I'm struggling. I need some assurance that you are with me. I need to know, God, that you are in this. And you and I, how many times in our lives, even though we've seen the power and the provision and the preparation of God in our lives, we still need some assurance when things get difficult. God, I need to know you're in it with me. And in verse 14, God says, my presence, or literally what he's saying is my face. It's the word in the Hebrew, panah, P-A-N-A-H. My face will be with you. And then Moses turns right back, hearing this promise of God. I mean, think, God has just told Moses, my face, the essence of my glory is going to be with you. So Moses, you know, deduces, okay, well the next step for me is to say, God, okay, show me your glory. What Moses wants is what we want. God, I need evidence of your promise. And I need an experience of your power. And look at how God responds. God doesn't say, no, 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 Moses, that's a terrible thing to ask for. What is wrong with you? I don't want you to seek my glory. That's not at all what God says. God just says, listen, you don't realize how big my glory is. You don't realize exactly the greatness of who I am. And Moses, as much as I want you to seek me and to seek my glory and the promise that I've given to you that my glory will be with you, understand this, is that you can't see my face and live. You got to take this seriously, Moses. And so what does God do? God says, okay, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to hide you behind the rock as my glory passes by, but I still want you to look for me. I'm not abandoning you, I'm not leaving you. I'm not gonna say no completely. I want you to see a reflection of my glory. I want you to see a revelation of my glory, but I've got to protect you from the greatness of who I am. And don't you know, God does the very same thing for us as he hid Moses in the rock, what does he do for us? He gave us the rock, the cornerstone that is Jesus that becomes the filter for us to experience the glory of God. And so we seek the fullness of his glory because God has given us a way. But we take it seriously. We fast forward in the story and Moses goes with the people that the direction of God to Mount Sinai. And Moses had asked God, teach me your ways. And so God has responded and he says, come up to the mountain. I will meet you there and I'm going to give you my law. I'm going to give you my instructions for the people because I want you to know my ways. Because I created you to do life with me, to be in relationship with me. I want you to know me and I want you to know my ways. And so I'm going to reveal it to you. And Moses goes up on the mountain and he finds himself experiencing a a revelation of the glory of God. And he comes down and something incredible has happened. And we pick up in Exodus chapter 33. Verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands that God had given him, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. I love what God does here. As Moses is seeking the face of God, I want to see your glory. Moses' face is literally transformed. And as we seek God, we will be changed. Here's the truth for us is that God's glory changes me it changes me when i come into the greatness of god and experience god's glory i will be changed i cannot come into the presence of god and not be changed that's a fact I and mean, how many times have we had those moments in our lives those those powerful moments where we've seen the, the hand of God at work and we've seen God move and we've seen God show up and we saw the healing or the provision or the miracle or, or whatever it might have been and we are forever changed. And I think back in my own life when, when I experienced uh, my first and real encounter with God, I had gone on a, a student retreat not to seek God, but God was seeking me and I found God on that week away. And I remember coming back and before I ever said a word, getting off the bus, my mom and dad came and they said, what happened to you? Because I had been changed. That's what the glory of God does. That's what happened to Moses. And, And do you notice what happens here? Is that even though the people were afraid, they realized that Moses had been in the presence of God and they followed him. See, Moses became the vessel for which the people could see the glory of God. That just like Moses, they could not see God face to face, but God gave them an avenue. He gave them a vessel. He gave them a face that they could look upon to see the glory of God. And that's what God wants to do in your life and my life. He wants to be, uh, uh, use me and use you as a vessel to show others his glory and his goodness. And that happens as your life and my life is changed. And it's changed when we come to the first vessel that God gave, which was his son, Jesus, who was the face of God, who was the voice of God. And as we trust in him, our life is changed and others see what? They see Jesus in me. And I become a way to point people to the glory and the greatness and the goodness of God. Will we take that seriously? Will we, will we seek him to be changed? And how does that happen? Well, here's how we try to do it. We try to do it by checking off the boxes, by believing the right set of bullet points, by behaving the right way, of doing all the right things. We we try to do it by correcting behavior, but, but don't we all know, haven't we all experienced that when I'm depending on my willpower to change my behavior, that ultimately there's gonna be a point where that willpower runs out? See, the way that we experience lasting eternal change is to come into connection with God, into relationship with God by surrender to God. See, life change comes not through correction, but by connection with the one who made us, with the one who saves us. God, I wanna connect with you. I wanna be one with you. So I surrender everything to you. I'm gonna commit to be with God so that I can have life in God. So we're always, always, always looking for relationship with God. And this is what God continued to call the people to. He said, I want to do life with you. If you read through the Old Testament, God continues to to say this phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people. I want to be in your midst. I, I want to do life with you. And so he continues to work and it was an up and down roller coaster kind of ride. There were moments where people were, they were following God and they were trusting in God. And, and then they'd, they'd get what they want. And just like us, they lose sight of God and they'd fall and they, they would fall into sin and they would turn away from God and, and nations would come in and things would happen. And they go, like, oh God, forgive us, help us. And God would, would bring them back. And we kind of see this over and over and over through the Old Testament. And finally the people say, God, we want a king. And so God gives them a king first with Saul. But the, the, this big problem of pride uh, prevents Saul from being the, the man that, that God wants him to be. And so God calls David and he works through David's life. who's humble, who seeks God. And then Solomon, David's son is, is born and, and he receives a task of building a temple for God. Not that God needed a place to reside, but the people were looking for a way to experience the presence of God. And Solomon has this conversation with God where he's asking him, Lord, the same question that Moses asked, I need some assurance of your presence with us. Will you be here? And we pick up in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Many of you have seen this verse floating around over the last couple of years. 2 Chronicles verse, chapter 7, verse 11. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I've heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and do what? Seek my face. Do what? Seek my face. Here it is again. He's saying, my Pana, my face, my presence. You'll seek me and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Solomon is asking, again, for the assurance of God's presence, his power at work. And what what does God do? He says, listen, if you will seek my face, then my face will be with you. I will be present and my glory will be among you. The gift that God gives is his presence. Here's the takeaway for us. God's glory is seen in his presence. Israel had already seen God's power. They had seen plagues. They had seen seas divided. They had seen the river stopped up. They had seen manna fall from heaven. They had seen the power of God and now God gives the gift of his presence. What God is ultimately saying is what you really long for is not just my hand, what you really long for is my face. What you really long for is the glory of my presence. But time after time after time, I fall into the rut of asking God for his hand. God, I'm in a problem. I need you to do something about it. God, I need some provision. God, I need some protection. God, I need a miracle. God, I need you to do something. And what God says is what you really need is not for me to do for you. You need need me to be with you. That's what you're longing for. You need my face. And that's the promise and the gift that God gave here. But how much of the time do we come to God and say, God, I I just need your hand. So we're living in a season right now that's very difficult. Extremely difficult. And many of us are lifting prayers as God would have us to do that say, God, I need you to do. But that is not what God promised. God said, if you will seek my face, I will heal your land, I will hear your prayers, I will move among you. God continues to call us to that. God, I will seek your presence, I will seek your face. He continued to move in the people of Israel, but things weren't always easy. As a matter of fact, in those generations following this interaction that Solomon had with God, Israel kind of became the punching bag of the Middle East as nation after nation after nation came in and overtook the people. And there were many violent uh, transitions of power. There was a severing of trust between people and their rulers and their leaders. There was religious division and hypocrisy. You know, we think that we've got issues with our denominations, but it existed in the first century and the the centuries leading up to that as well. They just didn't call them denominations. Religious division was everywhere. There was disease abounding that there was no cure for. And the people were longing for the glory of God. As a matter of fact, for 400 years, God was silent. He did not speak through a prophet. There were no words of the Lord written down. And the people were asking the question, God, where are you? But little did they know that God was setting the stage, not just to speak about his glory, but to bring his glory to the earth. And a child was born Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus of Nazareth, was born into the world, the Son of God. He lived a perfect life. He taught about the kingdom of God. He invited people to surrender to the Lord. He brought with him 12 disciples that he poured his life into. And he told them and he told the crowds, I'm going to give my life for you. It will not be taken from me, but I will give it. And I'm going to die a criminal's death. And he died on the cross. And he said, three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And that's exactly what he did, that we could have life. And I want us to see exactly what God was doing as he brought his glory into the world through his son, what he was doing for you and me. Luke chapter 23, verse 44, it says this. It was now about noon. This is Jesus on the cross. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn. And two, this referring to the second temple, but a temple that Solomon had laid the foundations for. And in it was the Holy of Holies where God was known to reside. And there was division between the Holy of Holies and, the, and the, the outer place of worship where you did not enter because God's glory was there. And there was a curtain to protect us. And that curtain was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man this curtain dividing the Holy of Holies where the the glory of God was known to be. Not to protect God, but to protect us from the greatness of God, that we would not come just without understanding, that we would not come on our own terms, but we would come by invitation only, that curtain was to protect us from the glory and the power of God. It was many inches, three, four, five inches thick. And as Jesus died on the cross, what happened? It was torn in two. Here's what I want us to see, is that the glory of God has been made available. What was God doing when he tore that curtain of the Holy of Holies where where God resided? He was saying to us, come on in. There's no more go-between because Jesus has accomplished everything needed for you to come to me. Here's the takeaway for us, is that we would come boldly to God because he has invited us in. We don't have to hide behind something anymore that we can experience the glory of God. As we look around, I know the temptation is to focus so much on politics and persons and policies and platforms, but those will not bring us salvation. Yes, we need to get those right. Yes, we need to influence the world. Yes, we need to be uh, salt and light to the people around us and bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. We need to bring God's work to the people around us, but those are not our salvation. Jesus is our salvation and he has torn the curtain. He he has opened the way where we can come boldly to him. And so we come to God and we are real with him and we're honest. When we're angry we, we we give our anger to God. When we're sad we bring our sadness to God. When we're joyful we bring our joy to God. When we need God to move we, we ask God to move but we always do it in the context and the posture of worship that I'm submitted to you. God whatever you do I know you are good and you are glorious and you are truth and I know I don't always see the, the full picture God and, and I don't always know what is right to pray for. And so Holy Spirit, I need you to pray for me in the midst of my prayers and I'm crying out. And in the same moment, I'm worshiping you. We're going to explore that next week. Worship is not always a song. Sometimes worship is just the cry of our heart. Our submission to God. As we submit ourselves to the truth that God is God and I am not. And I can come to him because God has opened the way. His glory is made available to me. Be real with him. Search him. Seek his face. He is loving and gracious and powerful and good and glorious. And God's plan from the very beginning when he made that universe and created the DNA strand and he breathed life into us, the purpose was always that we would walk with him. The purpose was always that we would be with him and live with him and experience his glory. It was not God's plan to withhold his glory. Sin got in the way and he had to send the solution, which was Jesus, so that he could fulfill his purpose to give his glory. And that was what Jesus was pointing to his whole life his whole ministry, the death and resurrection was pointing to the truth that God wants to give you and me his glory. We cannot give in to cheap substitutes for what God wants to do. So before he gave up his life, before he was arrested and beaten and put up on a cross, Jesus had one final meal with his disciples to make it clear what he was about to do, to say to them, I am the face of God here with you, that I'm opening the way. I'm gonna do for you what you can't do. And I'm gonna pardon your sin because I'm gonna take it into my body and defeat it forever. It was a special meal, it was the Passover meal where the people were to remember that Jesus made a way for freedom made a way for his promises. And at that Passover meal, he was following the script right up to a certain point, And then he broke from the, the Hebrew script of that meal. And instead he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. I am the way. And at the end of the meal, Jesus took the cup and he poured it and he gave thanks to you, Father. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and drink from this. All of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant, poured out for what? For the forgiveness of sins. The curtain's about to be torn. Your sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. Come on in. Come on in.